Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. If you would take your Bible and turn with me to Genesis chapter 24. Genesis chapter 24. And with the word open before us, let us go to Lord in prayer. O gracious Heavenly Father, we give thanks unto you and praise your glorious name. Lord, we give thanks that you have blessed us with the words of the Bible. Lord, that they would not just be before us in our eyes, but they would be written upon our hearts. Lord, that we would go here a changed people because of the work of the Holy Spirit that's within us. Lord, that you would convict us of sin, teach us of ourself and our need for you, but also teach us the hope which is found in Jesus Christ. Lord, the promises found in Scripture that you will not forsake your people, and you would see your promise through to the end, that you are the, the one who keeps your promises. Lord, let us rest on your promises this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. Hear now the word, Lord, from Genesis chapter 24. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take, oh, you would not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down beside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, in the time when the women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your son Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born of Bethel, the son of Milcal, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. And the young woman was very attractive in appearance, and maidens whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quietly knelt 
quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When he, she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well of, and to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. And the, young, the man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took the gold ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten golden shekels and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethel, the son of Milcal, who she bore to Nahor. She added, We have plenty of, bo- plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. And the man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord, and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness towards my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way of the house of the master's kinsman. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out towards the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebekah his sister, thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and the place of the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. He said, Speak on. So he said, I am my Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old, and to him he was given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, in whose land I dwell. But you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son." I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord, before whom I have walked, will send his angel with you to prosper your way. You shall take a wife for your son from my clan and from my father's house. Then you shall be free from my oath when you came come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. I came today to the spring and asked, And said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, Please give me a drink, a little water from your jar to drink. And who will say to me, Drink, and I will draw water, draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with the water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. And I said to her, Please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will give your camels drink also. 
So I drank, and she gave camels drink also. Then I asked her, Whose daughter are you? And she said, The daughter of Bethel, Nahor, son, whom Machal bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. Then I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me, that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you good or bad. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and of gold and garments that have gave, gave them to Rebekah. He also gave her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, Send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman remain with us a while, at least ten days. After that she may go. But he said to them, Do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away, that I may go to my master. They said, Let us call to the young woman and ask her. And they called to Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gates of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Beer Lahiroi, as they were dwelling in Negeb. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field towards evening. And he lifted his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah his mother and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. One of the most interesting questions that I like to ask a couple is, how did you meet? And these range from going high school together to uh, random stories, a story of one couple I know that uh, met on a Christian website, dating service, um, and there's many books on the topic of how you are to potentially date, um, and when we come to passages like this, they might seem a little archaic. Uh, I jokingly asked my father-in-law when I asked uh, for Sarah's hand in marriage what the dowry price was of Sarah. He looked at me a bit strange and thought it was a cultural thing, something that we did in Australia. Uh, I, he was relieved when I told him I was joking. But it is quite a strange thing for us to read about. Uh, we come to chapter 24, the longest chapter in Genesis. 
Uh, again, you could argue that this chapter could be a lot argue, uh, shorter. However, Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote all of chapter four and uh, 24 and all of chapter 24 for our edification. And like chapter 23, it comes down to a very practical question. Question 23 asks the question, where is Abraham going to bury his deceased wife, Sarah? Very practical, but we saw theological implications of this. Chapter 24 comes down to a very practical question. God has promised the generations will be blessed, but it has come down to one son. Where will these generations come from? You need a wife for Isaac if you are to continue this promise. And we noticed in chapter 22 that the theme of that chapter was the Lord will provide. But we also noticed that the Lord provided through Nahor, Abraham's brother, that he had children. So chapter 24 is really a changing of a guard, you might say, the close of Abraham's story at the end of his genealogy at the start of chapter 25. But the change uh, of the guard this switch from Abraham to Isaac. So, uh, with such a large section of text, uh, you are uh, thanking me that I'm not going through this verse by verse. Um, Maybe you are. Maybe you enjoy uh, me preaching. Uh, But uh, what I will do this evening is we'll go over a quick summary of the verse, pointing out a few Uh, verses as we go, and then we'll look at the theological points of this text. So first, the summary. First nine verses focuses on the oath between Abraham and his servant. These are the last recorded words of Abraham. He's about 140 years old. It's three years after Sarah's death, roughly. And he speaks to the oldest of his servants, Now, uh, Matthew Henry, and I tend to agree with Matthew Henry here, believes that this is possibly Eliezer of Damascus, the one in chapter 15 who was asked. uh, This is the heir to all my uh, inheritance. And he speaks to this servant, and he tells him to put his hand on his thigh. Now, Jacob does this also at the end of Genesis. He's also old-aged and makes a promise. Maybe it is uh, a promise of that I might not be able to see you through to be able to see this promise come to the end, but please carry this out. Uh, and he makes him swear before God. This is a lawful oath. Uh, we don't need to think of foolish oaths that Saul has made, or as we looked at this morning, King Herod. Uh, but this is the cause of verse 8, which he gets this um, explanation. If, if the woman does not come back here, you do not need to bring her. You're free from this oath. I'm not going to hold this oath to you. But he comes and he makes this agreement with this, the oldest uh, servant in his house. And he simply requests that he goes and finds a wife. But he puts these conditions on these uh, finding a wife. His simple request is to find a wife. His uh, caveat is that he's not from the land of Canaan. There's three possible reasons why he's asking not to be from the land of Canaan. We don't get this specifically from this text. The first is that uh, where he's living at this point, he sees the sinfulness of uh, his neighbors. And he's worried about the sin. He maybe think of Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot and his daughters marrying uh, Sodomites. Um, 
But here, he's worried about the sinfulness of the surrounding area. The second is that he's worried about the curse of Canaan, which we looked at in chapter uh, 9. Canaan was Ham's son, and Canaan was cursed, um, as you remember. And he's worried that this curse has not yet come to its end. They're still somewhat cursed. Uh, But the third reason, I think this is the most uh, valid reason, Uh, Now, I think the other two might have some validity to it, but I think the third reason why he's asking this servant not to find uh, someone in the land of Canaan is that they worship false gods. Laman in verse 31 uh, speaks of blessed is the Lord, or in verses 50 and 51, he speaks of the Lord. The covenant name Yahweh is used there. So it is possible that Nahor uh, still continued along with his father's terror worship as terror was called out by the Lord. Uh, so too, uh, he's, maybe he wants uh, to find someone who believes, has the same uh, belief of God. And this is exactly what happens in Deuteronomy with the warning of intermarrying. The warning in Deuteronomy chapter 7 is that you shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to them or your sons are taking their daughters for your sons, for they will turn away your sons from following me and to serve gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you, and he would destroy you quickly. So I think this is uh, the purpose of him finding a wife not in the land of Canaan. So his, his simple request, find a wife that's not from the land of Canaan, uh, to find a wife for his son, but not to take Isaac there. That comes up several times in those uh, nine verses. You're to go find a uh, wife there, but if you do find a wife there and she says, I'm not leaving, don't take Isaac there. They make that pretty plain as well. He he brings up the promise of God again, that to your son I will give this land. So he makes this, brings it back to God's promises. Don't take him away. The promise is that God said he would give this land. So, This then moves to the journey. Now, the journey, quite simply, it takes a a matter of verses. Uh, He he departs, he arose, he went to Mesopotamia, and he he gets to the outskirts of the city. This this journey probably would have been about a month's journey, but it is quite short. It's not the journey, which is the important part to uh, Moses as he writes about it. But he comes to this well and he prays. He prays uh, to the Lord that he might... uh, Bless Abraham according to his steadfast love to the master. And Rebekah comes to the well. He offers water for him and his camels, which is the prayer that he prayed. Now we need to note in verse 10, it explains that he took 10 camels. 10 camels, for it depends on how long they journeyed for, if they stopped along the way, but a camel can roughly drink about 25 gallons of water. And if you have 10 camels... 25 gallons, and a jar in which you would collect water would be about three gallons uh, per, uh, per uh, reaching it out. So it's not simply that she goes and gets a cup of water for him, but she serves greatly. She's a hard-working lady as she comes. But not only does she serve him and his camels, but she also offers to be able to, as he asks to spend the night, she is very hospitable to this, to come spend her night in her father's uh, house. 
She goes and gets Laban, which is the brother of Rebekah, is invited in. She, again, he looks after the servant. He looks after the camels. They prepare food. Again, you think about uh, Abraham and Lot, both showing hospitality to those who have come in, strangers from outside. And in verse 34 to 49, we're actually given a whole summary of what actually happened again, this repeating of what has happened as the servant saw it. Now, this is a large portion of the text which has already repeated what is happening. But you notice when they get to uh, verse 66, the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. You could have just said, well, Isaac told uh, Laban all the things that he had done. But here, uh, more purpose has been given to this. Then you go to 50 and 58, the discussion about is Rebecca to go? Now, it's important in verse 57, this is not very common for them to be able to ask the woman for consent. Now, often this would be a negotiation uh, between the father of the bride, the household of the father, and the uh, person, uh, in this case, the servant, speaking for the master. But here, Rebecca is asked if she consents to this. They ask her directly. Just an important comment to make. In verse 59 to 60, we have the blessing of Rebekah. May 10,000 possess the gate of those who hate him. Again, you're reminded of Genesis chapter 22, verse 7. I will surely bless you and from surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. So here the blessing of Rebekah also speaks to the blessing found uh, given to Isaac, uh, Abraham's son. <clears throat> then we come to verses 61 to 67. The returning and then also the marriage. Isaac is there at Bir Lahairoi, which is the well of the living one who sees me, which brings you back to Genesis chapter 16, where Hagar is there, distressed. She calls upon the name of the Lord, and she's seen by God. That here, uh, Isaac is there also seen by God. And Isaac comes out, he goes in verse 63 to meditate in the evening. Richard Baxter actually loves this verse because this is actually where he goes and he uh, bases his whole argument for thinking about heaven uh, at nighttime. When he goes on the evening, he bases it on this verse that Isaac went out to meditate in the field at evening. Um, but uh, in uh, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation in the Old Testament, it says that he goes out not to meditate, he goes out to exercise. Uh, I think more meditate in forms of prayer. But I want to highlight uh, quite quickly some theological insights from this chapter 24. Time and time again, the first thing that we see is God's hand of providence throughout all of this chapter. Although it seems like a quite a practical Task. God's hand is throughout this chapter. In verse 7, um, again, uh, Abraham quotes and speaks of the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me. Again, he brings up God's hand of his promises which are made before, that God brought him out right from Genesis 12, called him out of his father's house. And spoke to me and swore to me. He made a promise to me, a covenant with me. And he promised that your offspring I will give this land. And he will send his angel before you. That here, God has sent his angel before to destroy Sodom. God has sent his angel before as he 
Mert, Hagar, Abir, Lahairoi. Your God has time and time again proven his hand of providence throughout all circumstances. And Abraham is not doubting at this point that God would not let him down, that God would not, uh, God would fulfill his promise. To your offspring I will give this land. God knows that this is the promise which is found in Isaac. But this is also repeated in the summary. In verses 34 and 35, the servant says, I am my Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master. He has become great. Again, we see God's promises right from Genesis 12 fulfilled in this moment where he looks and speaks of God's hand of providence upon his life. That God has indeed blessed his master. That he has indeed become great. And also in verse 40, And he said to me, The Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. That here he sees God's hand leading him and guiding him. That the reason he will prosper is that God has sent an angel before you. But even just in the timing, we see God's hand of providence. This man comes to the well at evening. He comes and he prays. But even in verse 15 and verse 45, we're seeing that the prayer is even answered before he finishes praying the prayer. He's unable to say amen in verse 15. It explains, before he had even finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born of Bethel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her jar on her shoulder. Before he had even finished speaking and praying his prayer, God had orchestrated all things to come to pass. Or in verse 45, when he recounts repeating this story, he says, Before I had finished speaking, in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her jar of water, water on her shoulder. God's hand of providence was throughout this story that Abraham knew that God would fulfill his promise, that to his son he would give this land, but also the promise that more people and generations would be blessed through him. The second thing we see is God's faithfulness and steadfast love. The faithfulness and the steadfast love, that word has said, which time, comes up time and time again. I heard a preacher say, and I think it's a good use of the word, but it, it, it's, it's God's arrogant love. Not in a negative way, but just stubborn love that would not let go, will not relent. And this is God's steadfast love to his people but to the promise of Abraham as well. The servant, time and time again, does not come and say that my master would look fondly upon me, that I might be able to bless my master. He doesn't think about the years of service and says, let this be good for me. Let this be good on my resume. When When he brings it up time and time again, he doesn't think about his loyalty to Abraham. He thinks about God's loyalty to Abraham. Especially if this is Eliezer of Damascus, he thinks and he prays to God that God might continue his promise that he made to Abraham. He prays in verse 12, Lord, the God, master of Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love has said 
that stubborn love to my master Abraham. Or in verse 14, when he prays that the young woman would come and give him a drink and also his camel. Let her be the one whom you have appointed to your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love, that stubborn love to my master. Again, he's invoking God's promises to be able to fulfill God's promises to carry out his faithfulness and steadfast love to his master Abraham. Or in verse 27, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love, his hesed, his stubborn love, and his faithfulness towards my master. Again, the servant understands God's hand in this situation, that this is carried out not because the servant is doing a good job, but God's hand is upon it, that his fulfillment of his promises, he's seen it out before his eyes. The third thing that we see theological impact is the servant worships God for his provision, his providence, and his faithfulness. In verse 26, the bound bowed, bowed his head and worshipped the Lord. Here the response, and I think this is where we get the, 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 um, the retelling of the story to Laban, is the servant is just so enamored that these things are just working out, that God is actually fulfilling them. He cannot but describe them to people. He cannot but tell people of what God has done. And this Worship is, is, is the response that worship is the response of true believers is to see God's providence and his, his promises been fulfilled. That worship, turning to God in worship, he, he does not turn around and pat himself on the shoulder and say, look at what a good job I've done. I, I was able to make it to Mesopotamia right in the exact time. I was able to be able to find the right person. He worships and adores God because God is the one who is orchestrating all things that come to pass. And God is the one who is showing his steadfast love to his master. In verse 48, he, he then bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord. That he explains the God of my master Abraham who has led me by the right way. He sees God's hand at work in his life to bring him to Rebekah. And what is his response? His response is bowing down in worship. And same in verse 52. And when Abraham's servant heard these words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. Again, his response is one of worship. Not of Laban, not of Rebekah, but he understands that every good thing comes from God's hand. And he worships God. That is his response. Joyful worship of God who has brought him to this point. And the fourth thing that we see is the promise is given to Isaac and Rebekah. Throughout this passage, the servant refers to his master. His master, Abraham. Blessed be the God of my father, my master, Abraham. And he refers to Isaac as God's servant, or as his master's son. However, this promise which God made to Abraham flows through the generations. As we saw that he would give this land, that he would bless Isaac, that Isaac, all uh, the world would be blessed. As he blessed 
Isaac, as he carried out the promise to Abraham to give him Isaac, he also carried out the promise to be able to give Isaac and Jacob and all the generations uh, the blessing that is passed down through generations. And this promise is given to Abraham and Sarah, and it carries on now through Isaac and Rebekah. Right at the end, in verse 65, the servant is coming in, and Rebekah is asking the question, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And he doesn't say, This is my master's son. He doesn't say, This is God's servant, as he has referred to Isaac before. He now calls Isaac his master. His response now is, Isaac is my master. This promise given to Abraham is now given to Isaac. But not only Isaac, Rebekah then becomes the new Sarah, you might say. In verse 67, we see that Isaac is there. Isaac now carries the promise. But Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Now we see the generation, this change, this changing of the guard, that Isaac now becomes the child of promise, who the promises will be lived out, that this land would be given to Isaac and his to his children. But the, the, last, the second to last thing that we look at in this passage is the promise of God continues. That this promise of Genesis continually unfolds. That we're given the slither of the hope of the gospel in Genesis 3.15, where the, the serpent crusher is coming. The, 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 there will be uh, at war the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. That, that this child of promise would come. This seed of promise who would come and crush the head of the serpent. And it seems like time and time again it dwindles, it goes down. It, it looks like it's, it's about to, to fizzle out. But yet God raises up and calls another. The, the seed of promise continues to carry on. The deceit of promise continues to unfold. The promises continue to unfold, not just to Abraham, but now to his son Isaac. The Genesis, Abraham is called, hanging by a thread, waiting for a son to be able to fulfill this promise. And then Isaac comes. But yet again, hanging by a thread, who shall be his wife? But yet he provides then a wife. Genesis 12 to 22 is about God providing a son. The end of Genesis 22 to Genesis 24 is about God providing a wife for that son, for that promise to be able to continue. God's hand is laced throughout this chapter as we see him bringing uh, him to be able to fulfill this promise. As we've looked at time and time again, God says that I will, I will make you a great nation. I will give you this land. I will, I will, I will. And time and time again, and this chapter shows that God does. God does carry out his promise. The last thing that we see with theological uh, impact is the seed of promise and the bride of Christ. Now, although this could quickly turn into allegory, you could find Christ at every well, you might say, but God is faithful to his promise. As Christ said that he would build his church. And we might feel this church, or the big C church, It's hanging by a thread, that it seems that it's at its end. But we do need to be reminded of those five theological points that we just looked before this. 
That God's hand of providence is through all things. That God's faithfulness and His steadfast love carries out the promises which He has spoken. That worship is the appropriate action of those who believe and see God's hand moving. The promise is not only to one generation, but to generations to come, that it passes down. And finally, the promise continues. As we see the promise go from generation to generation, that God will carry out what He has said He will do. This chapter is a large chapter. Answers a very practical question, but again, shows more deep theological points. God's providence, His faithfulness, His promises of generations and continuing and worship in the center of those who hold that promise as well. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we give thanks to You. We give thanks and praise to You that Your hand is at work. Lord, help us to see Your hand in small situations and times. Lord, that we would see Your hand work mightily that your hand of providence in all situations and circumstances. Lord, help us to be reminded of your steadfast and faithful, your faithfulness and your steadfast love to carry out your promises in which you have said you will do. Lord, help us to see the promise of generations and generations to come that will be blessed by you as we hold fast to the promises which start with the words, I will. But also, Lord, help us to have worship as the appropriate response as we see your hand at work in all situations and all circumstances that we might, like the servant of Abraham, bow down and worship you, giving thanks and praise to you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.